Coco as he comes. Give the Lord a hand and him a hand. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor James. Awesome. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome. Aren't they great? Let's give them a big round of applause. Wonderful. Awesome. Good morning. It's a great thrill to be back here at Port City in Gladstone. And I uh, always feel like I'm with family when I come back here. And uh, it's always a great joy. Uh, especially appreciate uh, Gladstone's weather uh, after being in Rockhampton yesterday. And uh, that lovely breeze is just beautiful here. So uh, so great thrill to be. Oh, thank you, uh, Pastor Michelle. Awesome. Uh, I want to thank uh, James and Michelle for inviting me to come back. And uh, I just uh, trust that uh, as we get around God's Word uh, today, God has got something awesome for us. You know, the Bible says better is one day in God's courts than a thousand anywhere. It's incredible what he can do in one day. Uh, and so I trust that today, uh, as we spend today uh, in God's house and in his presence, uh, he's going to do something awesome among us. Amen. So if you got your Bibles, uh, turn me to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Oh, boom, it's up there. Psalm 37. Uh, and um, just before we read that out, uh, just letting you know, as many of you would know, wherever I travel, always take uh, some of my resource with me and uh, I've got a couple of books with me here as well and some flyers from different different conferences and that sort of thing you might be interested in. So if you're interested, go down uh, to the table and feel free to check it out. Psalm 37 verses 1 to 4 says this, A psalm of David, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The title of my message today is called The Secrets of My Success. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that you help us to all obtain the destiny that you have for us. I thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this psalm, as it says at the top, was written by David. Uh, David is probably the most famous king in the history of Israel. He wrote most of the Psalms and widely considered to be quite possibly the most successful king in the history of Israel as well. This is written at the end of his life, towards as he, when he's an old man. And so he's looking through the eyes of an old man back through his life. And, he's, he is, and he is essentially saying that he's had a great life and he is encouraging people to trust in the Lord. He is essentially writing here this psalm, explaining the keys that helped him to achieve the success and to live the life of destiny that God actually had uh, for him. And so in many ways, he is writing this psalm to encourage us in certain ways of living that we might obtain the destiny and the inheritance that God has for us in this life. This is not a psalm about achieving heaven. This is a psalm about achieving the destiny that God has for us in this life. That's why there are five times in this psalm where it actually says that we will inherit the earth. It's not talking about heaven. It's not talking about enduring until we die and get to heaven. God's destiny for us is not to sit around in a corner singing Kumbaya waiting for Jesus to return. He actually has things for us to do right here, right now. He has a territory for us to inherit. He wants his kingdom to advance. He wants our lives to advance. And here David is saying at the end of his life, there are a number of things that he did that helped him achieve the life that he ended up having. And so five times, as I said to you before, it says that there are some things that if you do them, you will inherit the earth, 
or inherit the land. And so I want to look at these five things, and that's why I've called this the secrets of my success. It's not the secrets of Ben Nitoko's success. This is the secrets of David's success. What he said helped him inherit the earth and the land that God had for him. And so let's have a look at this five times where he says it. Uh, The first time uh, he says it is in verse 9. He says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. When I first read that, I thought it meant those who wait on the Lord. I actually thought that meant prayer and a devotional life. I thought that meant that if you wait on God, because part of our prayer time, can we were just literally just waiting on the Lord, uh, sitting silently in His presence and being quiet. That's what I thought it meant. But that's not actually what it means. It actually means those who wait for the Lord. So what that means is, is there are times in our life when we need to wait for God to move on our behalf. There are times when it feels like in our life where things aren't actually happening. That's why he's saying evildoers will be cut off. Don't imitate the wicked, even it looks like if they're getting ahead in life. Don't imitate them. God will fulfill his promise in your life. We need to wait for the Lord. So the first key to fulfilling the destiny God has for us to achieve the success that God has for us is number one, patience. Patience. That's especially true when waiting for God to fulfill his promises in our life. God does not always, when God makes us a promise, it doesn't mean it's going to happen straight away. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 6 verse 12, it says the promises of God are inherited through faith and patience. I've told you before, I don't like that second bit. I like the first bit. Faith, when God makes us a promise, that's when I like the promise to come to pass, but that's not when it comes to pass. It is inherited through faith and patience. Some translations of the Bible don't use the word patience, use the word long-suffering. It means sometimes we've got to suffer a long time before God's promises come to pass. And what can happen is people go away from doing God's things God's way and they walk away from the Lord because God doesn't perform His promise when they want it. And we need to understand that we need to have patience, that it doesn't automatically happen overnight, but eventually it will happen. David had to exhibit patience. David was prophesied by Samuel, anointed to be the king, somewhere between the ages of 10 and 15. But he didn't become king until he was 30. So God made him a promise and didn't happen for 15 or 20, uh, between 15 and 20 years. Sometimes God's promises take a while to come to pass. I remember back in 1998, I was at Bible college and we had a uh, chapel service there. And the uh, speaker was an evangelist by the name of Al Fury. And uh, Al, uh, he, uh, he was praying over people and he called me out and he prophesied over me. And he said to me, he said, son, I'm going to mark you as an evangelist. I says, I see you traveling from place to place, from island to island, maybe Curtis Island, I don't know. Island to island. He says, preaching the gospel and preaching God's word. From that moment, something on the inside of me said, I'm going to do that one day. That was 1998. 2008, it still hadn't happened full time. I was doing a little bit, but it still hadn't happened full time. And I remember I'm in a meeting and in the meeting there was a speaker by the name of Chris Hill at the time. He was an evangelist, itinerant, traveling around the world, preaching the gospel. And in the meetings, the Holy Spirit said, you're going to do what he does. And it still didn't happen until 2012. So God made a promise in 98, but it didn't happen until 2012. Why does God do things like that? Well, very often it's because he waits for the right time for it to come to pass. 
There is a timing for when God's promises come to pass. And we need to understand and trust His timing. That if God hasn't performed something in your life yet that He promised, it's not because He doesn't love you. It's not because He doesn't want to see it come to pass. It's just not ripe yet. It's just not the right time. And what I've learned is this. I thank God for God's timing. I thank God that He fulfilled His promise to me at that time and not earlier when I wanted it to happen because I wouldn't have been ready or able to handle what He had for my life. And we just have to trust and be patient and understand that when God makes a promise, it will happen, but it's not always going to happen in our time. All of God's promises have a right time when they need to be picked or plucked. We have a lemon tree in our backyard. And uh, when you you can't pick lemons too soon, if you pick them while they're green, uh, they're not going to ripen off the vine. They're not like mangoes that you can pick green and just let ripen. You have to wait for lemons to ripen on the vine. You can't pick them too soon. I'm not a farmer. I'm not very good at uh, horticulture or anything like that. So I don't really know when the right time is. So I've created my own homespun method for figuring it out. And what I've done is basically I go into the backyard, play soccer with my sons. I kick the ball over towards the tree. They run towards it, often collide with the tree. And if the, and if the um, lemons fall out, then I know they're ripe. <laughs> and I feel for somebody here, you know God's put something in your heart and you've tried to force that promise. You've tried to hack that thing off the tree and it's not working. It's not because God doesn't want to have it happen. It's just not right yet. It's not ready. We just need to have patience and trust Him. And there are other people here, there's something you tried out a long time ago and it felt wasn't the right time. You thought it was never going to happen. God wants you to know the time is right now. If you just go towards that promise and give it a bit of a shake, you might find it falls out in your hand. And we need to understand that we need to have patience if we're going to inherit the earth. The second thing he says is this, Psalm 37 verse 11. He says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The meek shall inherit the earth. I preached on that verse at the start of this year in February. And and I didn't preach it out of Psalm 37. I actually preached it out of Matthew 5.5. Because Jesus quoted it there. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When I read the word meek, I used to think it meant the doormat. You know, the person that lets other people walk all over them. But that's not actually what it means. The meekness is talking about a submission to God. And it mean, actually means someone who doesn't remove themselves from the dealings of God. It actually means obedience even when you don't feel like it. That's what meekness is. And so the second key is obedience in brackets even when you don't feel like it. It's easy to be obedient to God and His Word and His call when you feel like it but it's hard when you don't feel like it. And in those moments when we feel like we want to walk away from the things God has called us to do, it's in those moments we have to prove faithful and do things, be obedient to him and do things his way. um, You know, David had to, uh, David exhibited this a number of times in his life. In fact, he did it so much that he was called a man after God's own heart. You know, you would know that it was said about David, that he was called a man after God's own heart. But people can misinterpret what they mean. that means. Some people think that means that because he was such a great worshipper, wrote so many psalms, that he was a worshipper and that's why he had a heart after God. But that's not what the scripture says was, ind- was the indicator for why he had a heart after God. The Bible actually says it in Acts chapter 13, um, verse 22. It says, God says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That's the sign for having a heart after God, not how much you worship. 
Amen. The sign of having a heart after God is obedience. But actually doing everything that he wants us to do, even when we don't feel like it. There There were times in David's life he had to do that. He had a promise, as I told you, to be the king. And so, um, and then when, um, and then Saul, his predecessor, got jealous of David. And so he wanted to kill David off. And he was chasing David all around the countryside with his men. And so at one point, David was hiding in a cave. And while he was hiding in a cave with his men, Saul was searching for him and was nearby. And Saul needed to go to the bathroom. And so to relieve himself, he actually went to the cave where David was staying. And so David's men said, see, here's your chance. God is putting him in your hand. Here's an opportunity to fulfill God's promise on your life. But David said, that is not God's way. I'm not going to kill the guy to access the promise. So he went, he just cut Saul's cloak, showed it back to him and said, listen, I'm never going to kill you. I'm not going to be disobedient to God's word. Even though everything in him could have said, here's an opportunity for me to fast track my destiny. He said, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to be obedient to God's word. Obedience is when we're obedient, even when we don't feel like it. A couple of months ago, I was uh, I was um, staying in Mackay for a week. I was uh, lecturing at a Bible college up there and preaching. And uh, and one one day, I got an email from one of my son's teachers. Uh, this son is generally the one we get the most communication from teachers about. Um, and so, and so I'm always getting a bit nervous when I get an email from this teacher. And the teacher said, "Oh, look." Uh, ben, just want to let you know that your son uh, was in an altercation at school uh, at the uh, um, over handball at the handball court, and um, if it's okay, uh, he was actually defending himself. The other child is the one who's trouble in trouble, and your son's not in trouble. I was really shocked because this son never loses fights. So I rang up. Uh, <clears throat> I thought I better ring home and find out what's going on. And, and uh, I, I uh, got him on the phone. I said, mate, are you okay? I said, I heard you got in a fight. And he goes, oh, yeah, Dad, but I'm fine. I said, I heard you had to defend yourself. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, but you know what? I could have bashed him. <laughs> and he said, but I didn't. I held myself back because you raised me right. <laughs> That's meekness. That's obeying God, being obedient, even when you don't feel like it. A um, couple of 2001, I felt God asked me to start a conference in Mackay. It was called Extreme Youth Conference. So I started this conference, and by 2002, I didn't want to run it anymore. I, I felt like I was not getting supported. I felt like, you know, I'm trying to push this thing, and it's not happening. And I remember thinking to myself, I've had enough of this. I'm just going to stop it. I'm not going to do it again. And so I rang up one of my best mates who's another youth pastor in town, and his name's Ryan. I said, Ryan, I'm going to pull the pin on extreme. I think I'm done. And he goes, well, what did God tell you? I said, he told me to put on the conference. And he said, well, what do you? I said, okay. And so we, we kept it going. Well, last month I went back. They had their 15th anniversary. Uh, they've had thousands of young people from around central and north Queensland go to it. Last week they had 500, last month they had 500 young people at it. And it's known as a conference of fire. It's known as a conference that transforms youth ministries and regions. And uh, it only happened because at some point someone had to just keep being obedient when they didn't feel like it. You need to understand something. Being obedient to God is not always easy. 
And there are times when we're just gritting our teeth and just keeping doing things God's way, even if it doesn't look like it's producing fruit. But we need to understand something, that the meek will inherit the earth. The third one uh, is this. Uh, he says in verse 21 and 22, says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. But just before that, it says the righteous shows mercy and gives. The way it was written almost indicates that because he gave, he was blessed. And because he was blessed, he inherited the earth. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says this. Uh, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 24 in the message translation, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Right there, David is indicating that generosity was one of the keys that enabled him to inherit the earth. If you look at the life of David, he was incredibly generous. He was generous to people on a regular basis. He was generous to a man. Uh, there was a man named Barzillai the Gileadite who looked after David and his men when David and his men were in the wilderness. David wanted to, to, uh, wanted to um, pay him back, wanted to be generous towards him. And Barzillai said, don't worry, I'm rich. I don't need any of your money. Forget it. But even then, later on towards the end of his life, David had not forgotten that and wanted to ensure that Barzillai's children got blessed as a result because David had a generous heart. Gener uh, David saved up the equivalent of billions of dollars for the building of the temple. David was so generous that he actually took the grandson of his enemy, Saul, Mephibosheth, had him around his table and looked after him and catered for him the rest of his life. David was a generous man. And he said generosity was one of the keys to help him inherit the earth. Jesus says this, if you're faithful in handling worldly wealth, then we'll be trusted with spiritual riches. What that means is this, that very often the test for determining whether God will give us more important things is actually how we handle our finances. And so I, I find that all the time. You know, I've ran Bible colleges for many, many years and lectured, speak at Bible colleges. And you see a lot of young people fired up for God, wanting to, um, you know, take cities and nations for Jesus Christ. And they come to Bible college and so often they're often, what the two things the Lord challenges them uh, with them about is the how they handle their time and how they handle their money. And it's like, that's the number one thing. He and very often he challenges them on their tithing. And it's like, well, what has that got to do with this? Well, the Bible says if you're faithful in that, then God will trust us with more important things, such as the souls of men and women uh, coming into the kingdom of God. Um, I, I told you before about the Extreme Youth Conference in Mackay. I remember the first year we put it on, I was going to pay for it out of my credit card. Uh, and we had 80, 80 people, 80 kids registered. And we needed $1,200 in the offering to break even. And I thought to myself, man, you know, over two nights in the offering, I reckon we might be able to do it. So on the first night, I received the offering and we received $364. And I thought to myself, that's pretty good. I reckon we could get the rest tomorrow night so I don't have to pay for it on my credit card. And the next night, uh, we had uh, the guest speaker receive the offering and we received $9,000. <laughs> Amen. It was incredible. 
there were kids coming there and it wasn't one of those pushing things or anything like that, but something happened. People just had a desire to give. And there were, I remember one kid, he came, he brought his guitar and he laid it at the altar. And I spoke to his mum actually recently, and this was 15 years ago when he did this, and he's now actually not going to church. But he's actually a professional musician and a musical tutor. And he says, and his mum told me that when he um, teaches kids, they all say, how'd you get so good? And he said, well, to be honest, I really started getting good when I gave my guitar to the Lord. (laughs) And he goes, something happened. And he said, my world just started getting larger and larger. That is often what happens. Generosity is often the key in order to see expansion and enlargement in our worlds. And after that conference, that extreme, that up until that time, youth ministries had flatlined. But from then on, many of them started growing. And then after that, there was other even churches that didn't have youth ministries that all started implementing youth ministries. And things started changing in the youth ministry scene in that city. And I'm telling you, you can all draw it back to an offering. It's almost like when they were faithful on this, God started enlarging their world. Generosity is a key to inheriting the earth. The fourth one uh, is this. Psalm 37 verse 29. David says this, the righteous shall inherit the land. The righteous. Man, that's funny. David called himself righteous. Do you actually know anything about his life? If you look at some of the things he did, you would not think he's very righteous. I mean, seriously, the guy had an affair, got the lady pregnant, and to cover it up, murdered her husband. And yet he has the temerity to say at the end of his life, the righteous shall inherit the land. How on earth could he call himself righteous? Because I think he had a revelation that many Christians need. And that was righteousness is not something we do. Righteousness is something that God gives to us. If he had said the holy will inherit the land, now we've got a problem. Because he didn't live a holy life. But holiness and righteousness is different. Righteousness is something God gives to us. The Bible says he imputes his righteousness towards us. So what that means is this, as Christians, Christ died on the cross, took the punishment for our sin, so that in the eyes of God, we can be righteous. He, that's why he died on the cross, he took that punishment. I think there's a reason why, one of my sons at least, um, has a few issues behaviorally at school. And um, it could be genetic. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, I remember uh, one time, I think I was in grade six, something like that, and uh, some, friends of my, some friends and I decided to sneak in to a particular part of the school, a room where you weren't allowed to go at lunchtime, but there was a table tennis table there, so we wanted to play table tennis. So we snuck in, we weren't allowed in the room, playing table tennis. Unfortunately, an altercation ensued between a couple of the boys and one of the boys ended up with his head through a window. Now, um, thank goodness he was okay. He kind of just like bashed it and pulled back and it just broke. And so he was okay. But now everyone knew we were in the room. So 
Teacher comes in and we're in huge trouble. The head of primary, Mr. Doyle, comes in and, and he goes, boys, he goes, get into that classroom now. There's a classroom nearby. So we went into this vacant classroom and we sat down. And, and uh, I remember we sitting there and we're thinking, man, what's going to happen to us? So I asked Dwayne. Dwayne was one of the boys there who, um, who, who had, was in trouble a lot. And so he kind of knew the kind of scales of punishment that you could receive. So um, I said to him, I said, Dwayne, what's going to happen? And he goes, well, this is pretty bad. Uh, in a room where we weren't supposed to be in, damaged property. Uh, he said, I reckon we're going to get the cane. Uh, when he said that, I'm like, oh, no. Because, you know, back in those days, you could get the cane. You know, like they had this stick and whoop, whack you. So um, I'm like, oh, no. And he goes, well, what? And I said, well, what do we do? He goes, we're going to have to numb our hands. He said, if you numb your hands, it's not going to hurt as much. And we said, how are we going to do that? And so we tried different methods. Uh, one of the boys, he sat on his hand, hoping to uh, make it fall asleep. Um, the rest of us, there was a table, table, we're sitting at tables, and we start banging the edge of the table like this to try and numb our hands so it wouldn't hurt. And so we're doing that, and then after a while, we keep doing this, and then all of a sudden, Mr. Door walks into the room, and we stop. And he said, boys, I've just spoken to the principal, and... Uh, what you've done, you've damaged property. You were in a room where you were told you were not allowed to be in uh, and you were using school property that you weren't allowed to use. And he said, so we've decided that your punishment is you're going to receive the cane. When we said that, Dwayne looked at us and was like, told you. <laughs> and he said, so, and he said, so Dwayne, come up here, please. Mr. Doyle had the cane in his hand. Dwayne gets up there and puts his hand out. And Mr. Doyle goes, what are you doing? And Dwayne goes, I'm putting my hand out to receive the cane, sir. And he goes, no, mate, you're not getting on the hand. <laughs> he says, you're getting on the bottom. He says, bend over. And then when he said this, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and so he bends over like this. And Mr. Dog gets the cane and he swings it back. And, and, he, and he swings it at Dwayne's bottom. And honestly, I could see before he even hit it, Dwayne's like this, ah, like that. And goes out of the room. I thought it was so funny. And uh, I was trying everything not to laugh, so I started crying. And, um, and then Mr. Dawes said, Steve, you're next. Steve was one of the other boys. And so Steve bends over and Mr. Dawes goes, whack. And when he did, Steve goes, ooh. And then he runs out of the room, no exaggeration, patting his bottom. Ooh, 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 ooh like this. Man, it was so funny. Then Mr. Dawes said, okay, Ken, you're next. Ken was another guy. So Ken comes up and Ken's one of those guys, kids at school who pretends he's tough but isn't, you know. And so Ken bends over and Mr. Dawes goes, whack. And when he does, Ken goes, <sighs> I remember thinking, oh, that can't have been that bad. And Ken walks out and then when he's out the door, I hear him go, oh. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to hurt. So... <laughs> I'd never received the cane before. It was the first time I received it. I did receive it a few other times in the ensuing years. But um, I, he goes, Ben, your turn. I bent over and had the cane. And I, remember the, I always wondered what it would feel like, you know. And, uh, and he goes, whack. And when he hit it, hit my backside. I remember, like, in, you know, you can think really fast in a split second. And in a split second, I remember thinking to myself, that doesn't feel that bad. And then all of a sudden, the pain, <laughs> shot all through my backside, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, I went outside. Anyway, um, it would have been cool, now, this didn't happen, but 
Imagine if it did. I mean, it, it wouldn't have, but, and it didn't. But imagine if this happened. My dad walks in before I received the cane and says, Mr. Doll, I know uh, Ben deserves punishment. And he said, so, uh, but uh, don't hit him, hit me. That would have been like, that's awesome. Thanks, Dad. Uh, now, that didn't happen and that was never going to happen, but that kind of is what happened. That is kind of what Christ did. He died on the cross not to merely exhibit his love to us. He died on the cross because he had to. He actually took the punishment for our sin. That's why we can be called righteous. Because we can't achieve the state of righteousness by ourselves. That's why David understood, I'm righteous not because of me. I'm righteous because God has given me that. And what happens is I find a lot of people in bondage because what happens is the devil is always trying to remind them of how bad they used to be. And then they don't stretch in life and they don't go for goals in life and they don't feel like they're worthy of anything in life because of what they used to be like. But here's the thing, you're not righteous because of what you've done. We're righteous because, what if he's, what, because of what he's done. And so what we need to do is make sure that as Christians we don't live in condemnation. Condemnation is feeling terrible about the mistakes that you used to make. But that's not the way we're supposed to live. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, we do need to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. You know, conviction is when we feel bad and, and, and that's from God. And condemnation is when we feel bad, but that's from the devil. How can you tell the difference? Well, condemnation is when you feel bad about the sins you used to do. Conviction is when you're feeling bad about the ones you're still doing. <laughs> so if we are still having sin in our life and we feel bad, that's a good sign. It means you've got to tend to conscience. But God will forgive you. And then we can move on. And our righteousness doesn't come from us. Our righteousness comes from Him. And there's somebody here, God's trying to put dreams in your head about things for your future, and you're not listening because you keep thinking, well, I used to be like this. I'm just happy I'm being saved. Well, thank God, that's good. But God doesn't say that you're going to inherit only heaven. He actually wants you to inherit the earth. And He's got more for you here in this life, and we are no longer, now no longer under condemnation. And David got a revelation of that. He knew he did some bad things. He knew he did some horrendous things. He knew he did some horrible things. But he also understood that his righteousness did not come from him. His righteousness came from the Lord. The righteous shall inherit the land. The fifth one is this. He says in verse 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you, shall inherit the land. When the wicked, wicked are cut off, you will see it. Wait on the Lord, wait for the Lord, and keep his way. So don't just wait. Keep doing what he wants you to do. Keep doing what he tells you to do. The fifth key to inheriting the land is persistence. Persistence. What that means is this. Keep doing the good that God has called you to do. Don't sit back and take your hand off the plow, but keep doing what God has called you to do because eventually you're going to inherit the earth. I would imagine there's a number of times when David would have been tempted to walk away from the Lord. He had been through many, many difficult times. Not only did his predecessor Saul want to kill him, but his own father was embarrassed about him. His own father didn't want to take him before Samuel because he was embarrassed about him. Not only that, his own son wanted to kill him, Absalom. 
And so he's got all these things going on in his life. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any trouble. And what happens is that sometimes Christians, when we have a bit of trouble, we walk away from the things God has called us to do. We walk away from, uh, you know, our calling. Uh, some people are like, you know, God puts you together with your spouse and now things aren't working exactly the way we thought. And so all of a sudden, well, I feel like I need to walk away and quit. No, we've got to keep doing good. And we need to keep persisting. You know, there is no doubt that there are times when you grow weary and tired from doing the right thing. But the Bible says in Galatians, don't grow weary in doing good. Why? Because in due season, we'll reap our harvest. There's some people here, you're tired of doing good. That's a good sign. Because that means you're close to your harvest. The tiredness is a sign. The weariness is a sign that your breakthrough is coming. The weariness is a sign that you're getting closer than you realize. And so that is not a sign to walk away or quit. But it's a sign to keep on doing and keep on hanging in there. Persistence is the key. I remember in 2004, I being, it was my fifth year as a youth pastor. And I'll be honest, I was tired. And, um, you know, when I started in ministry, I didn't have a day off for like two years, so that didn't help. Uh, and I was not, uh, and I was homesick. I was from Melbourne and I was in North Queensland. It was a foreign environment to me. And, and uh, I was just, you know, I was just homesick. And my youth ministry was doing okay. It was gradually growing and that sort of thing. And, and, and I was just like, man, I think I'm, I think I'm done. done. I think I want to go home and be back with my family. And um, I remember I was about to uh, walk into my senior pastor's office and um, resign. And it was January 2004. I, I remember I walked into his office, sat down, I'm about to resign. And as soon as I sat down, the Holy Spirit said, don't resign. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I didn't, and we just had a chat and I walked out. And he had no idea until just the other day when I mentioned it while he was in the audience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that that was going to happen. Over the next 18 months, our youth group spiraled. It, it increased by two and a half times. And it became really well known at the time and was doing incredibly well. All that harvest, all that breakthrough, all that growth happened after the point where I thought I was done. Sometimes I look back and I think to myself, what if I had it just pulled back right then? Most of my ministry reputation happened as a result of that 18 months. Many of the opportunities, even 12 years later, as a result of that 18 months. And I think, what would have happened if I had have backed away from it? As a Christian, there are times when you do grow weary in doing good. That's not a sign from the Lord that He's leading you to do something else. Amen. We need to keep hanging in, keep doing what he took, keep his way. How do you do that when you feel like you're done? Well, you need to learn how to access the strength of the Lord. That's a lesson David learned. The Bible often says that David would encourage himself in the Lord. We need to learn there are times when we've got to encourage ourselves in the Lord as well. How do we know how he did it? Well, most of the Psalms tell us. He would pray. He would sing. He would worship. He would get aside and spend time with the Lord. And that's how he renewed his strength. The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up on wings of eagles. And when you feel like when you're done and through, you can access his presence anytime that you want. And when you learn how to do that, we can draw that strength from him. So even though in those times when you feel like you're done, when you're finished, the Holy Spirit can come 
and rejuvenate you again. Knowing how to access the presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the most amazing things you can do because the Holy Spirit literally brings life. You know, the Old Testament word for Holy Spirit, for spirit, is ruach, which actually means breath. It means life. So the two, basically, if you want to, you know, work out the two works of the Holy Spirit, two things the Holy Spirit does is, number one, he brings life and regenerates, and number two, he empowers, comes upon. So number one, he comes in, and number two, he comes upon. It's like when you get saved, he comes in. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, he comes upon. If you look through the Old Testament, there was much of it where he would come in. You know, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that when God would created man, he formed man, but man was lifeless, had no life. And then what did he do? He breathed life into his nostrils, breathed the Spirit of God into his nostrils, and he came back to life. Spirit means breath. Spirit means life. In Ezekiel 37, the Bible says Ezekiel is prophesying to dry bones. The bones come together, they knit and muscle forms and they become and they raise up as an army. But they were still dead. They still weren't alive. They had a form and they had a body, but they weren't alive. And so what did he do? He prophesied the breath of God, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God came in and then he came, then they came to life. Spirit means life. Jesus Christ grabbed his disciples and he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Talking about the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. But then later on, he says, I want you to wait for the Spirit to come upon you. So there's two distinct works of the Holy Spirit. Spirit means life. Spirit means breath. I had a number of health issues for a few years and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I didn't even realize it fully at the time. But what I did start noticing happening was for about 18 months, I was constantly getting sick constantly and I would get every flu that was going around and I'd have it for five weeks found it impossible to shake I even to the point that you know when you have children and sometimes one of your children gets sick and then other members of the family get sick uh, I just knew every time one of my kids got sick I was getting sick and that happened all the time I was really struggling with energy my energy was so low I couldn't exercise two days in a row There were times when I would exercise, I might do like a 30-minute run or something like that. I remember one time I went to the gym, I did a 30-minute run on the treadmill. I got off the treadmill, got to my car, and when I got home, I couldn't get out of the car. I just sat there for an hour. I couldn't get out. Eventually, I got out, and for the next two days, I was hopeless. I was just lying on bed, couldn't do anything, couldn't think straight or anything. And I was feeling like that for a couple of years. At the start of this year, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you're going to have a breakthrough in your health. And yet, even then, at the start of this year, everything was going bad. I thought, I better go see a doctor. I went and saw one particular doctor, and they did all these battery tests on me, and they said, look, we think you might have a thing called adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue is when you have low adrenaline, and that can really wipe you out, and that can often take years to overcome. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to take me ages to get better. Am I ever going to get better and get healthy and fit again and that sort of thing? And in the meantime, my wife said to me, she goes, Ben, you're snoring all the time. And I I knew that. And sometimes I was choking. Um, One time, because she was choking me, telling me to stop. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, I was snoring. She was kicking me out of the bed and that sort of thing. And I thought, I better go get a sleep test done. So I went and got a sleep test done. And and they got back to me. They said, we want you to go see a specialist. I said, okay. So I went and saw this specialist. And he he said to me, Ben, you've got a thing called... um, uh, severe sleep apnea. I said, what does that mean? He goes, you stop breathing in your sleep. I said, have I got it bad? He goes, well, severe is when you stop breathing 30 times an hour. 
He says, you've been stopping breathing 45 times every hour. He said, uh, your oxygen depleted. He says, you never get REM, REM sleep at all. And he goes, that's what's been happening. I said, well, what do I do? He says, well, there's only one way we're going to treat this. He said, we're going to put you on this machine called a CPAP machine, and it's going to blow oxygen in your mouth. I thought, oh, you're kidding me. I thought, could life get any worse? You know, I'm getting old before my age. And so, and he goes, so what you're going to do is you're going to have this machine, and it's going to blow oxygen in through your nose, down your throat, keep your passageways open so you get enough oxygen. I thought, oh, great. And so now I carry so much luggage around because I've resource in one bag, I've got a CPAP machine in another, and I go away for only one day. But anyway, and so, and so you know, I put the machine on, and they blow oxygen up your nose, and you've got to keep your mouth closed because if you don't, you open your mouth, it rushes out your mouth, you sound like Darth Vader. And I remember the first couple of times I put this machine on, and I thought, you know, I wasn't very encouraged, you know what I'm saying? After a couple of weeks, I started feeling really good. I started feeling awesome. I started having energy I didn't have before. I was actually starting to exercise and even exercise twice a day, and it was great. And then all of us, I was just, and then I used to need nine or ten hours sleep and I'd still be tired, and now I have like six hours sleep and I bounce out of bed. Sometimes now I have so much energy that by the end of the day in the afternoon, I'm sitting around thinking, I want to do something. That has never happened to me before. <laughs> and my life in a short, in literally within two weeks, was completely transformed. Then I've been able to exercise, been able to drop some weight and all this sort of stuff. And I thought I needed this long process. I, needed, I, th- I thought I needed all these things in my life. But in hindsight, all I needed was some more breath. Sometimes all we need to feel alive again is some breath. Some of you here are going through a tough time and you thought, I need to change this, I need to change this, and this is it. No, no, no. First port of call is allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on you. You might find that all you really needed was some breath. You might find you have everything you need but no life. And all you need is the breath of God to bring you back to life again so that you can move on. And there are some worship team, you can come. And there are some people here in this place, that's how you feel. You feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this, but I'm tired. I feel like I, I want to give up. I want to walk away from this. I want to walk away from that. I just want to go on a remote island and just, you know, get away from everyone. Yada, yada, yada. When maybe all you really need is the breath of God to breathe life back into your spiritual lungs, amen? And so this morning, we're going to pray for people who are saying, that's how I feel. I feel weary. I don't feel like I can keep his way and keep going on doing what he wants me to do. We want to pray for you. You'll be amazed how different you can feel with just some more breath, how quickly things can turn around when the only missing ingredient was breath. It's not a one-time event accessing the breath of God. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, be, keep being filled by the Spirit of God. We need to keep accessing that breath. It doesn't just happen when we get saved. It doesn't just happen when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to keep accessing that breath. And there are some people here and it's like, you know what? Your oxygen is running low and you need the breath of God.
close your eyes for a moment. Maybe you're in this place and you're saying, that's me. That's how I feel. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me this morning. I just want the breath of God to come. I want the breath of God to touch me. I want the breath of God to fill me. I want a fresh touch of his presence. I just need the strength that can only come by his spirit. I just need the rejuvenation and the life that comes from him breathing in my spiritual lungs. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Secondly, maybe you're here and you personally don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't started that journey with him. As I told you before, that being a Christian means that because of Christ, we're righteous. As Christians, we don't think we're any better than anybody else. But we just know that through Christ, we are made righteous by his work on the cross. And all we've done is turn and given our lives to him. And as a result of that, he's clothed us with his righteousness. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, 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 and you need to. If that is you with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you, you're saying this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want a relationship with God. I want to be made righteous by him right in God's eyes. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me. This morning, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be made righteous today. If that is you, slip up your hand and say, that's me this morning. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to give my life to him. Church, could you stand to your feet? What we're going to do is this. We're going to open up the altar and I'm going to invite those people who put their hands up to come forward, to come forward and get prayed for. And also too, I really sense that there were some people that wanted to or needed to and didn't do it for whatever reason. It's not a sign of weakness to acknowledge that we actually need the breath of God. It's actually the way it works. And we all need it from time to time. David was very open about that fact. That's why one of his prayers to the Lord was, Lord, don't let your spirit depart from me. He knew that he needed his spirit. And it's okay to acknowledge your dependence upon him. So if you put your hand up or you didn't, but you know you wanted to or needed to, why don't you come forward and we're going to pray. And we're just going to pray for the spirit of God to touch you, to refresh you, to revitalize you again as the rest of us continue to worship God in this place.